1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're working our way through 1 Corinthians, and um, we may take a detour every once in a while, but there is so much in this um, book, in this letter Paul wrote to this church, that is uh, really relevant for our day and time. How many of you know the scripture is always relevant, no matter what day and no matter what time we live in? You know why that is? Because human nature doesn't change. So the same sin nature that Adam uh, possessed through the fall is the same sin nature that all humanity from that time until the Lord returns. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that. And so the scripture addresses these things. They're not specific to centuries or whether we live in modern times or ancient times. They're specific to man's nature and the problem that presents and the answer and the solution that's found in Christ. Amen? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, let's look at verse 16, and we're going we're gonna to go from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, just a few short verses here. Let's read it together. Read, uh, follow along with me in your Bible, 1 Corinthians four sixteen. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now remember, let me say this, Paul, in saying, imitate me, this is a call to be conformed to Christ. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and a spirit of gentleness? So let's look at these few short verses here that take us to the end of this chapter. I want to draw your attention to just a couple of things here as we get ready to look at these verses. The first of all, we're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at our need to be reminded. We're going to look at our need to be transformed and our need to be conformed. Conformed to the image of Christ. And Paul, in his encouragement to them, saying, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. He says, this is why I'm sending Timothy, my beloved son, in the faith to you, because he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ. So it's not just Paul's way. Paul is very specific here. He says, he's going to remind you of my ways in Christ. So Paul did not have a different way than Christ. Paul didn't have a different way of doing things. Paul didn't have a different gospel. Paul didn't have a different belief system. What Paul had and everything Paul did was in Christ and according to Christ. And says, Timothy is going to come and he's going to remind you 
of these things. Now, he talks about those who are puffed up. I don't know what term your translation uses. Mine says, now some are puffed up. This is a word that means arrogant, haughty. Some of you are arrogant and haughty. And as we know, as we get to this point in the letter, we know what Paul is dealing with in this church, right? He's dealing with false teachers and people in the church that are trying to preach and teach a different gospel, that are trying to lead the Corinthians in a way that's different than the way of Christ. And so these guys were among them, and they were telling the church, basically, don't listen to Paul. Paul is nobody. He's, you know, he's Paul. And we won't get into all that, but Paul addresses this in in quite a lot of detail. And so Paul says, there are those among you that are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. So he talks about word and he talks about power. And then in verse 20, he makes the statement, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So we need to look at this and understand what Paul is actually saying here and not maybe take from it what he's not saying. And then he asks them a question, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So let's talk about these three things, the need to be reminded, the need to be transformed, and the need to be conformed. We need to be reminded of what? Of the ways in Christ. So what is that? What are the ways in Christ? It's not just our doctrine of belief, but it's our conduct of living. How we live, listen, how we live reflects what we truly believe. We talk about a lot of things that we believe. We can say we believe this or we say we believe that, but the reality is this. What you believe is not reflected in what you say. What you believe is reflected in what you live and how you live. We say we have hope in Christ. We, we talk about all these things, and, and all of that is very prevalent in the Scripture. And the, the Bible talks of this hope. And so, for instance, we look at the Apostle Paul. This was one of the things that was a criticism against Paul. If Paul is all that he claims to be, why is he homeless? Why is he not well clothed? Why is he hungry? Why is he thirsty? Why has he been beaten and left for dead? Why is he suffering so much persecution if he is all that he says that he is? Paul, remember in his famous letter to the Philippians, says this. He says, I've learned to be content in whatever state I find myself. Now, it didn't mean that Paul liked those hard conditions. It doesn't mean that Paul liked the rejection and the hardship and the death and the persecution that he witnessed and and had to walk through, but he understood that there was something that transcended those realities, and that something or that someone is Christ. And so when Paul says, we've learned to glory in our tribulation, Paul wasn't just, it wasn't just a bunch of rhetoric. Paul wasn't just using a bunch of hype trying to build someone up emotionally. Paul actually 
lived that and believed that. So Paul didn't just say that. We see that lived out in Paul's life. We know that Paul really believed that because that is what Paul lived. Now we can say we glory in tribulation or I have hope in Christ and and I know things are going to be okay. We can say that trying to maybe reinforce that within ourselves and we should, but it's got to be more than just what we say, right? I mean, somewhere in the midst of all of this that we walk through in the world, all of this that we experience in the world, and we experience a whole range of things, right? I mean, I'm holding my grandson as we're worshiping. There's, there's no greater joy than just being able to hold that little life and, and just think about that newness of life and all that's before him. But you know, three years ago, my mom passed away. I've lost both of my parents. I, really, there's no one left in my family except my brothers and sisters and their families. All my aunts, all my uncles, all my grandparents, my parents, they're all gone. And daily we live with that reality of death. And daily we live with the reality that life is hard. Man, you know, last week the stock market plunged. So there's people upset over that. I'm thinking, boy, if that's all we had to be upset over was the stock market dropping, right? But whatever our source of hardship or our source of stress, the question is, do we believe in something that transcends that? Is, is what we say, is what we read, is what we confess just a bunch of hyperbole? Is it just a bunch of emotional hype? Or do we really believe that Christ transcends it, that we have hope beyond this world? We have hope beyond this mortal life that we live here? That even though life is hard, even though there are things pressing against us, do we believe that God actually has already won the victory and we win because he has already won? That's not to deny anything that we're going through. But we've got to see beyond what we're going through. This is exactly what Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3. He wasn't telling them to deny their problems, to deny their situations, to deny their hardships. But he said, don't let those things control your life. Put your eyes on Christ who is above those things. Set your mind on Christ which is above those things. Not that we live in denial of the reality of the pain in my body or the pain in my heart or the stress in my mind. We don't live in denial of that, but we understand that Christ is victorious over that. Therefore, we are victorious over that. So where are we going to set our mind? Where are we going to set our eyes? If we set them in Christ, then we are able to walk through this world and navigate life truly victorious. Yes, it may be painful. Yes, we may be walking in the midst of the valley of the shadow. And it's dark all around us, but can we hear the voice of the good shepherd? Can we feel the touch of his staff? leading us and guiding us? Do we know that he is there even in the midst of our hardship, even in the midst of our darkness? See, Paul understood this. Paul lived this reality. This is why he could write all of the things that he wrote in the scripture, in these letters to these believers who were his disciples. He lived that. He believed that. He experienced that was his reality. Because he didn't just believe in a, an imaginary God or an imaginary Christ. He believed in the reality 
of a real God in a real Christ in a real Savior. And that Savior and the reality of that Savior and that victory and the reality of that Savior's victory was greater than anything good or bad or ugly that he experienced in this life. And he kept his eyes focused on the reality of that victorious Savior. And so he walked through this life with much hardship and much sorrow, but he walked through this life victorious. So much so that he writes to this son Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I have run my race. I have faithfully run my race. My life is being poured out as a drink offering, and I'm ready to go. I've fought the good fight. I've run a good race. Amen? I don't know if you guys are basketball fans. I'm only a basketball fan at the end of the season. And I will be honest with you, I was absolutely devastated that the Spurs lost. They had it right there, and they snatched victory. Um, You know, they actually snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Right there. And, and, but I don't know if you watch that game, and, and they have those little sections where they have the mic on the coach in the huddle, and, I, and Greg Popovich, early on in the game, said this to his players. He said, this is a big boy game. And you know what? What we're living, this is a big boy game. This isn't, this isn't play. This isn't practice, this isn't play, this is reality. It's a big boy game. And this is why it's important for us to embrace the scripture, to embrace the message of the gospel. Because God has equipped us, he has given us what we need for this that we're going through. So we need to be reminded, and this is exactly what Paul is telling them. I'm sending Timothy because you need to be reminded of the ways in Christ, not only of your doctrine, not only what you confess that you believe, but the conduct of your living. How we live reflects what we truly believe, not just what we confess to believe. We forget that we must be transformed as we are being conformed constantly in all things. Conformed to what? Conformed to the image of the Son. And so because we tend to forget, we need to be constantly reminded. Paul also wrote this in his letter to the Philippians. He said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but it is for you safe. So Paul understood that as believers, we need to be reminded. We need to be transformed. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's not in human eloquence. It's not in excellence of speech. Or or even just in our doctrines, the things that we believe. But it's in power. This word power is dunamis. And this is the word that's often used of the miraculous the dynamic, it's where we get our word dynamite, dynamic, this powerful. But, but what it really speaks of, the most important thing that we need to understand is that it's in power, it's in the mighty energy of the Holy Spirit. It's in the mighty power 
of the Holy Spirit. So we go back to what Paul said in the very beginning of this letter. I didn't come to you with persuasive speech or words of wisdom or excellence of speech or great ability to sway you one way or the other. He said, I came to you as a witness and a testimony. I declare to you the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. The power was not in my words. The power was in the message that I spoke to you. wasn't... How I spoke it to you, it was the very reality of what I spoke to you. So the kingdom is not in word, but it's in power. It's in the mighty working of the Spirit of God, enlightening and quickening and converting and sanctifying believers. The demonstration of the Spirit and power was, what was that demonstration? It was the reality of their faith. What is the demonstration of the Spirit and power in your life? It is the reality of your faith. The demonstration of the Spirit and power in Cindy's life has nothing to do with whether she is healed of cancer on this side or on the other side. She is healed because she is in Christ. The reality of the demonstration of the Spirit and power is the fact that she is in Christ And as much as we are praying and believing for her physical healing right here and right now, she knows and we know that the power is demonstrated in the reality of her faith. That she wins, period. It's not she wins if, it's not she wins, there's no condition here. She wins because she is in Christ. She's already won. If you are in Christ, you have already won. It it doesn't matter what the condition is or what you're going through. If you're in Christ, you've already won. The demonstration of the Spirit and power is the fact that you are in Christ and you trust Him. You didn't do that. God did that by the power of His Spirit working in you. And after that, everything else... Listen, it's not difficult for God. It's not difficult for God to heal cancer. It's not difficult for God to to help you financially. It's not difficult for God to fix relationships. It's not difficult for God. It might be difficult for us, but it's not difficult for God. Raising the dead to spiritual life and salvation, that is... Wow, you want to talk about a miracle. You want to talk about the Spirit and a demonstration of power. There is nothing greater. So we need to be transformed. It's not in word, but it's in power. The true and the ultimate test or demonstration of power is a life transformed by the power of God through the message of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. Miraculous power, listen, miraculous power was given by God to certain men, to these apostles. There were certain miracles that these apostles did that verified that they were apostles. The reason we're reading Paul's letters today, it's not because Paul was the only guy who was out preaching the gospel and writing letters. There were lots of men who wrote lots of letters But if you notice, we don't have a lot of those letters. The vast majority of those letters don't exist in our Bible. It doesn't mean that they weren't real men of God. It doesn't mean that they weren't called of God to preach the gospel. We're all called of God to preach the gospel. But you're not going to find my letter or your letters in this book. 
Because we're not called in the same way that Paul the Apostle was called. God still works miracles today. He still heals. He still delivers. He still does miraculous things. But the fact that God does miraculous things through our hands doesn't put me on the same level as the Apostle Paul in terms of now you need to listen to me because I'm, I, my word is equal to what the Scripture says. No. So this is what Paul is, part of what Paul is saying to these people. Look, I am an apostle called by God. We're going to find out what these other guys are that are whispering in your ear when I come to see you. I know what they say they are, and I know who they say that I am, but we're going to find out who they really are, not based on their word, but based on the power. So miraculous power was given by God to certain men as a sign of their apostolic authority, but it's not, it's not just their ability to do special miracles, but more importantly, it's the fruit seen in the transformed lives of those receiving the message of the gospel and responding in faith. And this is what Paul meant in this very letter. You go back to chapter 2, verse 4. Paul says, I didn't come to you. My preaching was not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, the fact that you trust demonstrates that God moved through the preaching of of the gospel. And so today, just as then, it's not the demonstration of miraculous power that is most important, but it's the power of the gospel to transform the hearts and the minds of men. We need transformation, and transformation is the power of a changed life. I can quack like a duck, walk like a duck, call myself a duck all I want, but that does not make me a duck. You can talk like a Christian, sing like a Christian, call yourself a Christian all you want, but until there is the evidence of a changed life, our words are empty. Jesus didn't die on a cross just so that we could say nice words. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead so that we could experience the power of a transformed, a changed life. This is where the power is. This is what Paul is writing also in his letter to the Romans in Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He didn't say just present your words. He didn't just say a bunch of nice things. He said, you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's going to prove that your life is going to prove that? Not just what you say, but how you walk this out, how you live. Now that doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean that we don't have moments and we don't have times where I just spent three days this week, 27 hours of class time studying critical incident stress management, which is a big term for teaching us how to deal with people that go through severe trauma in their life. And there's all forms of trauma that people go through. It doesn't mean that you have to see mangled bodies or experience just graphic death. 
I mean, there's all kinds of things that bring trauma into our life. We're traumatized in a lot of ways. And a lot of people, like a lot of the people that we talked about in this three-day class, say, oh, it doesn't bother me, I'm fine, I'm fine. They confess all kinds of things, but the reality of their life speaks something different. They really are traumatized. They're really suffering regardless. And so their life, the reality of what's happening in their life is not really matching their words. For us as Christians, the reality of our life needs to match what we're confessing if we're confessing the word of God. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to be traumatized sometimes, that we're not going to go through really hard and difficult things, and, and we're going to find it difficult to deal with those things. But when it's all said and done, this is our hope. God knows how to bring us through the difficult things. God knows how to bring us out of the valley of the shadow of death to the place that he's prepared to us on higher ground. He really has prepared a table for us. Even though it's in the presence of our enemies, he has prepared a table for us. And so we don't get stuck in the valley of shadow because we know that God's prepared something. This is just part of the journey. So wherever you're at in your journey, however dark it may be, however difficult it may be, just understand this. It's just part of your journey. It's not your destination. God holds your ultimate destination. This is just part of the journey. You need to keep walking. You need to keep growing. You need to keep your eyes focused on him, trusting him, even when you can't see anything else around you. You're not going to do that unless you're reminded of that, and you're not going to do that unless you experience transformation in your life. Words are cheap. What you need is to experience the real life-changing power of God. This is why we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit because it's only the Holy Spirit that can bring that powerful transformation to our lives. But it's only as we surrender to the will of the Good Shepherd that the Spirit of God is able to do that. Listen, if you want to get stuck in the valley of shadow and just sit there in the darkness and say, I'm not moving, well, God has his ways to get you up and get you moving. But I'm telling you, it's much It's much better if we will just submit to the will of the shepherd and keep going in our journey regardless of how dark and difficult it may be. So we need to be transformed because the kingdom of God is not just in word, but it's in power. It's the power of a changed life. So these teachers were coming. He says, when I come to you, look at verse 19. He said, when I come to you, he said, I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out about those, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power of those who are puffed up. So it's kind of like, you know, false teachers, sometimes their words are kind of like fireworks. You know, the, the fireworks are much more appealing to our flesh than the fire of the refiner. But what God wants to do is not just give us fireworks that, that make us... Uh, excited, he wants to put us through the fire of the refiner because he has a work to do in our life. So what, we just read this in the previous chapters in this very book where Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on 
endures, it, he will receive a reward. But anyone's work, but if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, as though through fire. So he says, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So when we pass through the refiner's fire. What we're made of, the stuff, the work that's been done in our life, through our life, the fire is going to prove that. It's either going to refine it as fine gold or it's going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. And so what do we do? We embrace. We embrace the work of the Spirit who sometimes puts us in the crucible and in the refiner's fire because that is what is necessary to affect transformation. And that transformation's purpose is a constant conforming us to the image of Christ. So the kingdom of God is, is not in word, not just in what we say, but in power, the reality of a changed life. Our walk must match our talk. Our message must be lived as well as spoken. Amen. So we need to be reminded of the ways in Christ. We need to be transformed by the power of God. We need to be conformed to the Son, to Christ. We need to be conformed. Christ is the Word, and He is powerful to save us and to conform us to Himself. Let me give you three scriptures here. Romans 8, 29. Paul writes, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's your destiny? In Christ, it's to be conformed to the image of the Son. That's what your destiny is. What am I here for? People ask me this all the time. I just want to know what I'm here for. You're here to be conformed to the image of the Son so that... Christ will fill all in all. When people ask that question, they often ask it centered on themselves. What am I here for? I want to know what I'm here for. I want to know what my purpose is. Listen, it's not about you, and it's not about me. Our purpose is not about us. Our purpose is about him. We are all here ultimately be conformed to the image of Christ. If we're, if we're born again, if we're his children, our ultimate purpose is to be conformed to the image of Christ to bring ultimate glory to God as Christ fills all in all. Predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Hebrews 1, look at this with me. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness, who made the worlds? The Son made the world. Christ made the worlds. Christ being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and Christ upholding all things by the word of his power. Paul says the kingdom is not in word, but in power. But when we're talking about the word, Christ, the living word, word and power are synonymous. You don't separate them. 
You can't take the word out of Christ. You can't take the power out of Christ. Christ is the word and he is powerful. And those two cannot be separated. The words of men, mm, not so much. Unless we are giving witness to this living word. That's why what I believe and what I have to say is far less important than what God has already revealed to us in his word. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need to be conformed. It is the work, listen, it is the work of our good God, constantly molding and shaping us into his glorious image. How does he do that? By the work of the Holy Spirit. When does he do it? He does it all the time. Where does he do it? He does it in all things. Under what circumstances does he do it? Under every circumstance. In all things and through all things, he is constantly conforming us to the image of Christ. Do you believe that, church? Now, I know you know the answer to that question should be yes. Yes, I believe that, Pastor Jeff. Why? Because that's what the Bible teaches us. But knowing that's the right answer, it's kind of like when I was, you know, helping tutor at NCC, and I'm helping this girl with her biology, and I told her, I said, honey, I'm going to tell you right now, I hadn't done biology in over 30 years. And I wasn't good at it then. I'm sure not going to be any good at it right now. But here's how she did her biology. She didn't have a clue. She might, have been, she might as well have been reading Greek or Hebrew. She didn't have a clue what she was reading. But, but she, she had a computer issued to her by the school. And she would Google the questions. And there's a website that has all the questions. I mean, the questions that they're giving them, her homework's online, she Googles a question, and that website gives her the answer to the question. So here's how she did her homework. She would Google the question, and then she would copy down her answer from the internet. And I'm like, that's how you do your homework? She goes, yeah. She said, but I don't, I don't, I don't understand what this means. I said, but you're just like Googling and then copying the answer. She goes, yeah, that's how we do our homework. I said, but let me ask you this. Do you understand what you are reading there? She goes, I don't understand any of it. I said, do you understand anything you've learned in biology up to this point? She goes, no, I really don't understand any of it. She said, I don't think it's important. I said, well, okay. I said, you know, maybe it's not in the big scheme of things, you know, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't use biology every day. I don't think about what I learned in biology class and apply that. I said, so, you know, that, that may be true. I said, but, but here's what is important. I said, your ability to learn and to comprehend and to, 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 to gain knowledge and to learn things, now that is important. I said, because if you don't know how to learn, if you don't know how to read and comprehend and, and figure out problems and learn how to, I said, you know, if you're just copying down answers, I said, that's not serving you very well, is it? She goes, no, not really. Well, that's kind of the way it is with the Bible. 
I mean, if we're just reading these things and we say, well, I know this is what the answer is because it's what the Bible says, but it doesn't become real. It doesn't get into my heart. It doesn't get into my soul. It doesn't get to the depths of me. David says, your word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. David didn't just have knowledge up here. He he applied that word. He sowed that word into his heart, and that word became real to him. You can't just say, well, I know what the Bible says. No. Has it become real to you? Has it become life to you? Has it become not just, there's a Greek word for knowledge, there's several Greek words for knowledge, and one of those words means experiential knowledge. So it's one thing for me to say, I know Jesus is a Savior. There are a lot of people that can say that because that's what religion says, that's what uh, they learned in philosophy class, that's what they learned in their comparative religion class, that's what they hear Christians say, and so they might be able to make the statement, I know that, that Jesus is a Savior, but the question is, have they come to know and experience Jesus the Savior, or is it just some fact that they're repeating because they heard somebody else say that that's true? Listen, you're not going to experience transformation. You're not going to experience being conformed to the image of the Son if we're just repeating facts that may or may not be true. The Bible is not a rabbit's foot. It's not a lucky charm. It's not a magic book. It's not a book of spells and incantations that you can just open it up and, and, and confess that and something magic happens. That's what a lot of Christians want to make it be. But that's not what it is. This book was given, this scripture was given so that you would know, so that you would experience the reality of Christ the Savior. That you would experience the reality of Christ who is victorious over sin and over death and over the grave. That though we may mourn because of those whom we have lost to death, the last enemy that Jesus will put under his feet, do you know that if they are in Christ, they are not dead, they are alive? And we walk through the valley of the shadow of death or of sorrow or whatever, but do we have a hope? Do we know? Have we experienced a hope within ourselves that transcends just some fact that I'm going to spout out of my mouth? Does my life really reflect what I believe more than what I say I believe? You need to be reminded constantly that you need to be transformed by the power of God and that God through all things, through everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, God is conforming you to the image of his son. Will you embrace that fact? Will you embrace that truth and allow God to do a work in you by his powerful Holy Spirit? We need to be reminded of the ways in Christ. We need to be transformed by the power of God. We need to be conformed to the image of Christ. Unless we are reminded, we will forget. And sometimes we need to be diligent to remind ourselves. That's why it's imperative that you don't just come here on Sunday morning to get a word or to hear preaching, but you learn how to eat a meal served by yourself. That you know how to open up the bread of life and partake of that bread 
and drink of that water and remind yourself of the things that we have a tendency to forget. Unless we are transformed, if our mind is not continually renewed, we will fall into hopelessness and despair. Are you listening to me, church? There is much of the world today in hopelessness and despair. A lot of it's in America. We live in the most prosperous, one of the most prosperous countries on earth. And it's amazing to me how many people seem to be hopeless and in despair. And unless we are transformed by the power of God, we have no hope and we have nothing but despair. So we need to be reminded and we need to be transformed so that we have hope beyond our circumstances and hope beyond this life and hope beyond the grave and hope beyond all the things that come against us every day and in every way. Only by the power of God can we experience that transformation. And it can't just be a one-time transformation. It needs to be regular, constant daily or multiple times of every day, the Holy Spirit knows. He knows the frequency and he knows the magnitude. Will we surrender to that and allow God to bring the power of a changed life? Unless we are being conformed, our life will not reflect the constant and ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Listen, our life is meant to reflect that constant and ongoing life and work of the Spirit because His Spirit in you never leaves you, never forsakes you. He does not withdraw His Spirit from you. The Spirit of God is in you. It is making intercession on behalf of you according to the will of God, Romans eight twenty four through 26 constantly, whether you're conscious of it or not. And the Spirit of God knows what you need. He knows what I need. He knows what his children need. And so we need to be conformed. And that conforming to the image of God is happening all the time. And remember, he uses all things in our life to bring us into conformity to Christ. And this is our hope. And this is why Paul wrote these words. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, and I'll close with this. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Let me continue. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. We have hope, church. In the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of all that this life brings, in the midst of all this world presents to us, we have hope. And our hope in Christ does not disappoint. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For if we do not faint, we shall reap in due season. Amen.